What is in your head, zombie? That is the question for one Chansung Jung. Um, we almost found that it, it might have been fragile what's in his head in the fifth round, but that is not the case. No no glass jaw for one Korean zombie as he holds on to uh, this fight, winning a decision over a very game Dan Ige. But the bottom line was there was a, a, a late rally uh, to try to take this one away from the Korean zombie. But uh, Chansung Jung said, uh, absolutely not. You're going to have to uh, put my lights out for real if you're going to take this one from me and uh, Ige could not. Hey everybody, TJ DeSantis along with Dean Thomas and Pearl Gonzalez. Uh, we are back together. It's it's one big happy family here on Extra Rounds. And look at look at Dean Thomas with his you know fancy pants, professional microphone. What are you doing over there with that thing? Man, listen, I'm, I'm so I'm, jelly. I'm just I just want to make sure I sound good as I'm coming across the airwaves. I mean, we only see half your face, so I'm gonna have to try to fix that right now. Oh, but really? uh, we'll get through it one way right or another. You don't move. You don't, Dean okay. Thomas. You don't move. We'll we'll move the world for you sir okay um but let's talk a little bit more about the korean zombie uh chan sung jung you know this is a guy that was really um kind of forgotten about uh when it, when it comes to the hierarchy at 145 pounds because he was forced to uh take uh, an extended leave away from active competition due to you know mandatory military service but you know since he's come back yes he's dropped some fights but he always reminds you why he's one of the most entertaining men at 145 pounds and tonight it was just very dominant uh for the korean zombie dean your thoughts on what he did tonight over the course of uh five rounds because really all you could point to is a late rally by dan Ige as far as any sort of criticism is concerned for the korean zombie you know i mean it's a very difficult thing to to analyze with the Korean zombie because he has been so inactive. So there's not really a large sample size to really judge him on. So like when you look at his fight against Brian Ortega, I mean, he was completely shut out. He was completely lost. He didn't know how to adapt, but he looked good against Dan Ige. So now, I mean, it makes you kind of wonder, was it really Dan Ige's collapse or just like maybe Dan Ige getting started too late or did the Korean zombie improve? Like it's really difficult to say, but I mean, one thing about the Korean zombie is he's always dangerous. He's always got a solid game and he, he's, you know, he's a dangerous guy where he punches hard. He's got a solid ground game, but um, I'm still not fully convinced that he's going to do well in the top five, just based on his performance. I'm not fully convinced of that just yet. Really? I mean, yeah. one, one thing that I would say about the Korean zombie that makes me a little bit concerned is, is the simple fact that when he has lost fights, it seems like they get away from him in the latter part of the fight. When you look at um, you know, the Yair Rodriguez fight, now granted it was definitely a, a sort of a Hail Mary uh, type of elbow by Yair Rodriguez, but when you look at the Ortega fight, uh, Ortega, I mean, almost, hang on, we're pressing the wrong buttons here. Uh, Ortega actually almost put him out with the same elbow elbow and i'm i'm kind of curious dean do you think that you know the later the fight goes and maybe you know with more skilled opponents like those top five uh, opponents is it uh is it a bit of a uh you know weak link in the whole sort of game of the korean zombie when it goes into the latter parts the main event championship type rounds well i mean there was a point in this fight where dan Ige hit him with that elbow they were up against the fence right but i mean he still got hit with that elbow so i mean i don't know if it's, it's a, a matter of a lack of focus i mean when you look at so what we're talking about is like the leon edwards effect and i actually had a conversation a slight conversation with leon about this like he loses focus at the end of fights like it happened in an ad's fight it happened against brian barberino it happened against gunner nelson 
but that was like it's clear that that happens but and i'm not sure if that totally really happens with the korean zombie because the korean zombie has such a weird style where he he's just always so relaxed and he doesn't do much until he's doing something very explosively and that's kind of what happens so like while he's not doing nothing other guys are just all right just kind of rallying back on him so i mean i don't know if it's really a collapse other rather than just when he's not doing nothing, he's not doing nothing. Like he's just kind of standing there waiting for guys to attack him. Yeah. I asked Pearl this question on uh Wednesday show. And I, and I guess I want to ask your thoughts on it, Dean as well, because we, we talked about the layoff, the mandatory military service uh, that Chan Sung Jung had to complete being, uh, you know, a citizen of South Korea was forced to take a, a step away uh, from active mixed martial arts. And this is a, a sport where, you know, any time on the shelf, can have a, a long-term detrimental effect on your career and, and your progression in your career. Uh, my question for Pearl uh, on Wednesday, and I'll ask it to you now, Dean, is uh, without that sort of break, without that layoff, that forced layoff, would Korean Zombie have you know captured a UFC title and made a, a run if he hadn't been forced away? I don't know if he would have captured a title. That's a very difficult task. I mean, especially at that division. I mean... That division is tough. Like, I don't I don't know with his style, like, he could have beat Max Holloway. So I don't know if he would have captured the title, but I don't think that that layoff helped him. I think it really hurt him because, and this is what I'm saying, like, the game is constantly evolving. Now, we just saw that Matt Brown fight from 2008. That looked like a completely different sport compared to how they right. fight now. So, like, you know, you take a year or two off where you are not involved in the game and, like, training at least, the game goes on without you. And I think that kind of happened a little bit to, to the Korean zombie. I think it kind of went on a little bit without him, but he's still good enough to compete because he still has that danger factor in his hands. But I think the game might have went a little bit on without him. And it's evident with the Brian Ortega fight. Yeah, I mean, that is uh, something we need to keep our um, mind on as well as is, you know, as Korean Zombie had stepped away from the division, the division got you know significantly more talented, more names. Like I mean, back back in the day when Korean Zombie was uh, a main player, I mean, you were talking about Jose Aldo's time, where you know it was one one featherweight really to be feared, and everybody else. And now there's, I mean. Uh, it seems like you can't even hold on to a title at 145. You know, Volkanovski has this belt, but it's like people are arguing that Holloway, you know, has won every single fight that they've had. Like, it's a much different division. I uh, I get that. Let's talk about Danny Ige, though. Um, you know, he, he started very aggressive in this fight and then went back to his corner and uh, had a chat with his, his cornerman and said, you know, look, we've got time. we got to, you know, sort of settle into this. And uh, unfortunately, Ige never really settled into a rhythm to where he got his own uh sort of game going. I understand that you can't freak out early in a fight when it's a, a five-round affair, but Pearl, in, in your mind, do you think that Dan Ige maybe didn't engage uh, aggressively enough down the stretch? Because in the fifth round, he came out and he made a statement and definitely won that round uh, on my scorecard, but if he had done that, maybe say in the second or third, we might be looking at a completely different fight. I think that... Um Ige had a tough time dealing with the movement and the positioning of Zombie tonight. Zombie's longer, he has lengthier arms, and he actually sat right on the outside of um, Ige's front lead leg. And every time Ige moved forward, uh, Zombie was kind of exiting at an angle and, and exiting like 
in a diagonal way. And so he didn't adjust very well. He kept coming straight forward while um, Zombie was kind of hitting that diagonal, kind of there in a sense. But he just had a little bit better better movement. And I think that Ige had his best moments when he came with punches and bunches and he put some combinations together. So he threw a, a jab or two and then he came in with a, a cross hook cross. Like we talked about this on Wednesday, his short work is, is where he's most powerful and he's most successful. And Zombie did such a great job of keeping him on the outside and keeping him long. And when Ige did step in, he was kind of going around Ige's straight punches when Ige became aggressive in this fight and, and put a couple punches together and a couple steps together, he was able to land on, on Zombie. And I think had he have done that a little bit more in the earlier rounds and, and also dealt with the, the positioning factor, um, the grappling positioning factor, a, a little bit with, with a little bit more urgency, I think that he would have had a lot more success. Regardless, you know, he put on a good fight and, and this was a big learning lesson for him tonight. Yeah, um, Dane Ige definitely will will you know come back from this. I think better having this experience uh, you know in the main event uh, against Korean Zombie. It's a fight that he wanted. He called him out, uh, but unfortunately for uh, the man they call Fifty K, back to the drawing board. Um, you know, Dean, you, you kind of alluded to the fact that you're not sold on the Korean Zombie uh, necessarily as a you know a top five featherweight. Um, you know, he believes he's number three. He was coming into tonight uh, as the number four ranked 145 pounder. Um, I mean there are really talented men. We've talked about that uh, at the tippy top of this division, but uh, has he done enough to actually establish himself as a, you know, a title contender? Should he get the winner of, of Volkanovski and Ortega after the ultimate fighter? Would you like to see him fight uh, a Max Holloway? Like how do you, how do you sort of size up the future for the Korean zombie? Yeah, I, I just don't see that happening. I mean, for whatever reason, I mean, Dan Ige is a good test, but Dan, D, Dan Ige was just out, tactic tonight right yeah you know, like yeah i don't think he was really beaten like to the to the point where like he showed he was outclassed he was just he just got out tactic you right. know like you know he got he got out he lost the game he, what's that i'm he, sorry he lost the game you know yeah, there, he there's lost a the fight game. and then there's the game of the fight and yeah right. i mean he lost the game yeah and and i don't and when so when dan Ige lost to calvin cater to me he was beaten up like he was outclassed you know when he when he's had his other losses he was outclassed tonight i don't think he was outclassed so that doesn't really really show much evidence for me that the korean zombie is is at that level so i think he would have to get past the calvin cater before i think he got a shot at sure. the title yeah, you know, that's like one that. thing, too, that I think uh, people fail to realize is, you know, even when you have a, you know, a single digit number in the top five next to your name, you still have to do things with a certain amount of style points to get that shot and that opportunity, especially now with the, you know, the ultimate fighter going on in the same division of uh, Volkanovski and Ortega, they're going to be tied up. So you're going to have to really sort of, you know, stake your claim at that, you know, contendership status. And I mean, I don't want to take anything away from the Korean zombie tonight, but I don't know if that was a performance where we're, you know, going back, uh, you know, on, on Monday and, and just waiting for Mick Maynard and Sean Shelby to go, this guy's your number one contender. I just, I didn't feel that coming out of the, the, the night's uh, main event. No, and, and I mean, to be honest with you, and I'm talking about like Dan Ige's performance, I mean, I don't even know if Dan Ige won the fight again. I mean, he won the fight against Barbosa, but like, I don't even know if he really won that fight. You know right. what I'm saying? So like, you know, like I said, Dan Ige is a good test. 
but he still has a lot of work to do. But he's a test to see, you know, where guys are at. But um, so, yeah, you know, Korean Zombie passed that test tonight, but he just, to me, it didn't look like the type of performance that you'd go, okay, here's another really top strong contender in this division. I mean, I, I still think he needs to come out and be a little bit more active and show a little more. In our Komen event, speaking of tests, there was uh, a bit of a test for Sergei Spivak, who was unranked, taking on Alexei Olenek. Uh, Olenek, a, a longtime staple of not just the UFC's heavyweight division, but just heavyweights in general. The man's been fighting since the mid-1990s. Uh, we were talking about that on, on Wednesday. Pearl Gonzalez was just 10 years old when uh, Alexei Olenek made his mixed martial arts debut. Tonight he took on uh, Sergei Spivak, and this was a fight that, for Spivak, I, I thought that maybe he was going to panic a little bit because Olenek came out and really got his game going. And, you know, th this is a sport where if you drop that first round, you have some serious making up to do. And, uh, you know, that's exactly what Spivak did. He was able to uh, come back and, and get that uh, fight to go his way. Uh, but, man, I, I can't think of a much worse feeling than after going the opening five minutes with Alexi Olenek and, and realizing like, oh crap, I just kind of let him get ahead on the scorecards. Like, I'm going to have to change the pace of this drastically. Um, Pearl, what are your thoughts when you're either coaching or you're in that situation yourself? When you know you have a three uh, round sort of fight and you've dropped that first round, like the pressure's got to turn up immensely. It does. And I think the, the, the times where I allowed for the pressure to consume me and kind of look at it as, oh gosh, I'm not catching up. I, my performances drastically got worse. And when I just rose to the occasion and understood, you have to have amnesia. I think like Kobe Bryant um, said it best, Michael Jordan, you have to have amnesia in games. And the same thing in, in rounds in MMA, you have to have amnesia because at the splits, at, at the split of a second, things can change completely. And so even though you're down around, you know, you have to maybe take some time to analyze, take a quick second to analyze because you only have 60 seconds in between. Um, take a second to analyze and then you have to have this amnesia and kind of figure it out. This is where you're really listening to your coaches, you're gathering your breath and you're, and you're figuring out, okay, how, how do I move forward? And, and you can't look backwards. And so I think he did a great job of that tonight of, of, of not focusing on what he did wrong in that first first round and focused on what he needs to do to to win to win the fight. Normally in this situation I would, you know, bring you back into the corner of Sergey Spivak and, and break down what his cornerman said, but uh, I don't speak Russian. I don't think either of you speak <laughs> no, Russian. So, uh, you know, I'll ask you Dean, if you were in the corner of Spivak after that first round, like what would your advice be to your fighter to go back out there and and, and try to get this fight going your way because uh, again, Alexei Olenek is a guy that's fought 76 times now. Um, you know, he's victorious more often than he isn't, you can't really let this man take anything from you because if you give him an inch, he'll take a mile and all of a sudden you're you're losing a fight that could have been the biggest win of your career. Yeah, Alexi is an absolute pro. He's been around, he's done it all, he's seen it all. But you also got to recognize that he's still old though. You know what I'm saying? So right. like, he's a very difficult guy to fight and I don't mean this disrespectfully, disrespectfully he's a difficult fight to guy, a guy to fight but an easy guy to beat. So, like, when you fight him, like, you're going to be in trouble. So, like, you got to really just attack him and put pressure on him because he's slower. 
you know, because he's older, he's a little easier to hit. So the idea is that, you know what, you just got to really stay in position, use angles and just attack him, you know, kind of like what Walt Harris did to him and just jump on him before. So it doesn't turn into like a, like a, a back and forth type fight, because if you allow him to do that, like he, that's where he's going to excel. But um, Spivak did the, did the right thing. He turned it on. And I think that's really what it is. You just got to turn it on and just not allow him any opportunities to fight you back because he is slower. So you got to really put it on him. Definitely a big win for Spivak here tonight, uh, you know, beating the number 15 ranked Alexi Olenek. Um, and it, and it kind of made me think about Olenek's role here uh, in the UFC. We were talking on Wednesday's show of, of whether or not this was a must win for him. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of thinking this is a bad word to a lot of fighters. They don't like to hear this word, but I think you can have a long career being this person and, and this this sort of role, and that is gatekeeper. I think Alexi Olenek uh, sort of is the gatekeeper for the heavyweight top 15. Now, that said, he's going to have to win fights. He can't stick around you know, forever and, and sort of uh, test these contenders and never win, but what do you think about that role in mixed martial arts in, in general, Dean, and also how Alexi Olenek sort of fits into it in, in the heavyweight division? Well, that role is, like you said, it's not a bad role. I mean, it means you have a job. Like, if right. you're working, that's great. So, like, that's a that's a job. You know, so it's not really a bad role, but as long as you're not getting hurt. And that's the thing. Like, if you if you have good defense, I mean, when you think about, like, gatekeepers, uh, what, what's, uh, who am I thinking? Um, welterweight just fought and lost to Bilal Muhammad. Damian Maia. Damian Maia. Damian Maia. How can I forget that name? That's he right. turned into kind of a gatekeeper, but he's not taking punishment. Right. You know, if he wasn't as old as he was, I'd say, man, keep going. You know, just maybe try to fight, fight some younger guys or some guys that can't wrestle that well. But like he turned into a gatekeeper, but he wasn't taking punishment, which is why I could see he wanted to continue to keep fighting. If you're taking punishment, you need to get out of the game. But being a gatekeeper is not bad as long as you're not taking punishment. But I do want to clarify one thing. Alexi Olenek is one of my favorite guys. When I was at Top Team, I used to see him all the time. He would walk around the bathroom naked, which is a bit creepy, but like, I just had to say, man, like, put some clothes on, homie. <laughs> I was just going to say, did we circle back just so you could, you know, out him from walking around the bathroom? There, man, because, because you know how, like, that old stere that stereotype of, like, the old European man walks, at, walks on the beach naked? Yeah. Like, that was him. That's, it's true. Like, that was him. Right, he'd just go into the bathroom to take a piss, but he'd get fully but he'd naked. Be complete, he'd yeah. be completely naked, and I'd be like, wait a minute. Yeah. Just kids. I've, I've definitely walked into the public restroom where the random dude has just got his pants down around his ankles, and he's, you know, going to the urinal. It's Yeah. So what are you doing, man? I, I need to leave this room right now. Um, That's awesome. It's something. I don't know if awesome is the word, but it is something. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, Marlon Chito Vera tonight. He took on Davy Grant. Uh, this was a, a rematch from uh, uh, quite a few years ago. Like, honestly, it happened so long ago, guys, that I, I didn't even remember that this was uh, a rematch. And I think both of these men have changed uh, significantly uh, since their first meeting. But uh, Chito comes in, number 15 tonight, taking on uh, Davy Grant. A big opportunity for Davy Grant to uh, sort of get past Chito Vera and, and possibly uh, become ranked. Uh, we, we talked about it on Wednesday, Pearl. The uh, loss uh, most recently uh, for Cheeto Vera was uh, against Jose Aldo, which, you know, I'm not going to be upset at anybody for losing to Jose Aldo, but it was a fight that you kind of felt was made for Cheeto Vera to sort of really establish his name and come out and put a stamp on his status uh, at 135 pounds. Uh, it didn't go his way that night, but uh, tonight uh, it, it definitely went the way uh, of Cheeto. He was able to uh, get past Davy Grant, really, you know, proving where he belongs, I think, 
tank at 135 pounds. Your thoughts on uh, Cheetah's performance, Pearl? Oh, my gosh. So when we talked about this on Wednesday, I said that this might be one of the fights of the, one of the best fights. And, and I, I really do think this was maybe the better fight of the night. I mean, it was a war. It was a war. And um, Davey came out, Grant came out with like bombs. He was throwing bombs. We talked about their statures and their demeanors and, and, and the type of presence both of these fighters have when they're inside of there where they don't really move backwards. And that was the case tonight. They were in front of each other. They were trading, um, you know, giving each other, e each other their best. And I think that um, Chito really, I, I felt like the tides really changed when, when um, Chito threw, like he threw a series of like five elbows. It was perfect. They, they, yeah. There wasn't a lot of ump on them. It, they were just like these perfect slicing elbows right down the middle you know, and he threw like four or five cut open, cut open Grant. And I really feel like that moment was a very defining moment in this fight because then the tide start, started to change. And then in the third round, I mean, Chito got hit with bombs. Grant came to fight tonight and, and hit did. him with some hard shots. And, and uh, I mean, he threw that spinning back wheel kick that, you know, like it was, it was, a, it was a great fight. And then Chito really rallied at the end in the third round and came out and refused to give this fight up and just put on, you know, put on a, a, a dominating performance in that third round and his elbows and his knees and the way he just mixed everything up tonight and then the grappling and then the ground and pound. I mean, he looked he looked really good tonight. And I think that this was a big moment for him to rally and say, hey, I'm here. I'm here and I'm not letting anybody take this shit from me, you know, and, and um, it was good to see him win. It was good to see him win tonight. Scorecards kind of all over the place when you look at, you know, what they say. 29-28, meaning, you know, one round uh, was a separator for one judge. 30-26, very dominant uh, for Cheeto Vera. And then 29-27, meaning, uh, you know, two rounds for uh, Cheeto Vera. But uh, one of the judges thought that uh, one of those rounds were 10-8. Were there definitely was a 10-8 uh, in my eyes. I mean, Dean Thomas, I, I hear 29-28, and all of a sudden I start to get worried that you know, something more nefarious is at hand where maybe there's a robbery. Robbery, but uh, Cheeto Vera definitely turned in a performance that was much more dominant than that one twenty nine twenty eight scorecard would would like you to believe. Yes and no. I mean, he, Cheeto yeah. was tested though. Cheeto was tested, so like we can't take away that first round from Davy Grant. Davy Grant looked pretty good that first round, so like Cheeto was tested. Like he, you know, Davy Grant had some moments, and it showed you that Davy Grant is a lot better than you thought he would be. I mean, he comes in as a thirty five year old man, and you're like, you know what? Uh, you know, maybe he just got lucky his last outing against Jonathan Martinez, but he showed tonight that he's really game and he can hang with, you know, some of the best of the best at in Bantamweight. But um, there's no know, way Chito, that wasn't a 10 8 round, though. Oh, the, the, the third round was a 10 8 round for yeah. sure. Yeah. But the first round, Davy Grant might have won that first round. Like, I, I'm watching the fight mm -hmm. thinking Davy Grant might have won his first round. Right. I, I actually think, in trouble. I think Davy Grant yeah. did win the first round. I yeah. thought it was a good I fight, uh, but I, I think the 29 27 scorecard is the one that's correct. Yeah, that's the one that's correct. But I mean, obviously, you know, the one who gave it 29 28 didn't give that a 10 8 round. Right. Yeah. You know, no. But that's, you know, but that's just the way the judges see, saw it. You know, well, we can't, I can't see a fight the way they saw it. That's how they saw it, you know. And I, th I don't think they give 10 8s enough. So you're right. I thought it was a 10 8. I don't think they give them enough. That, I mean, it was a complete shutout in that round. But Cheeto Vera showed that he was, that he was good. He's, he's the guy who beat Sean O'Malley. He proved that tonight. 
So um, mm-hmm. I got to give him his props. Yeah, no, 100%. This was a, a solid win uh, for Cheeto Vera, you know, really sort of responding to that uh, drop fight to uh, Jose Aldo and sort of sizing up where he belongs here at 135. But, but credit to Davy Grant. You mentioned, Dean, like this is a guy that, you know, 35 years old, he, he had to go through a sort of a longer layoff. It was like fighting one time a year. And he, you know, comes back at his last fight, gets a win, now taking on Cheeto Vera. This was not a make or break fight for Davy Grant, but it was a fight that definitely could have, you know, made his outlook and stock uh, definitely rise. Um, I was impressed by uh, his ability to come back, especially after being cut. Um, you know, sometimes when fighters get cut, uh, it sort of zaps their their spirit away. Davy Grant, I mean, he faded a bit, but it wasn't for lack of effort. Uh, definitely uh, appreciated the, the fight that he had in him, and, um, you know, I, I thought it was a fun fight uh, throughout. But, but Cheeto Vera, guys... Um, you know, number 15, looking at, you know, th- this win for him, I, I don't know where it-, it puts him. I don't think it's necessarily, you know, going to, you know, catapult him into the top 10. But Pearl, I-, I really do believe that this was the type of performance that Cheeto wanted. And-, and now there's a little bit more buzz behind him because, you know, we're looking at him fight Sean O'Malley. This was a fight where, you know, O'Malley had a lot of buzz behind him and Cheeto tried to steal that. He did, uh, but it's definitely a, a sport, Pearl, where it's like, what have you done for me lately? And well, now Cheeto Vera back in the win column. So that's, you know, something that's really good for him. Yeah, I, I, I think that it was also, you know, a good, a good experience for him to go through to really rally and come through and, and dominate after he had you know, that back and forth in the first round and, and kind of get through some of the striking, you know, Davey did not back up often. He was in his face. He was throwing bombs. He was throwing, spinning this and that, and, and really did come to win tonight. Um, and I think Chito needed that, you know, I, they talked about it on the broadcast, how he takes his, his, um, career very seriously. And he's, he's got nutritionist and he's got a mental coach that he's working with. And, and he's really putting his pieces together. And I think that, that that those pieces came together tonight for him. And I think that showed him that his work and his efforts are, are working and it, it's coming together for him. Yeah, no, I, I definitely uh, feel that was the case. Um, he, he called out Dominic Cruz and, and Dom, you know, <laughs> answered that uh you know, diplomatically, um, you know, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, I don't know. It, it seems like Dominic Cruz, anytime a Bantamweight fights, someone's going to call him out. And for good reason. He's one of the greatest Bantamweights of all time. But at this point in his career, Dean, it just seems like Dom is like target number one for anybody that's 135 pounds. You know, it's funny. I mentioned that too. Like when it happened, I said, like, how, like, wh- what are you thinking in your head when, like, you're the guy that everybody's calling out? Right. Because everybody look at you as the scrub of the division, and it's not that Dominic's the scrub. It's just that division is so deep yeah. and so stacked that he's kind of the least path of resistance to the top, right? Because, like you said, like, he's a he used, he was the champ. He was he was regarded as one of the best band and weights of all time. Yep. But when you look at the division, it's like, do I want to go through Dominic Cruz or, you know, or Corey Sanhagen. <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, also like, too, like, I mean, I, what, take what, your pick. What you but have like, to yeah. gain, though, from a, a win over Dominic Cruz, it still outweighs maybe the idea of, of the path of least resistance. You know, a win over Dominic Cruz is still a win over one of the greatest bantamweights, if not the greatest bantamweight of all time. Right. So, like, I can see why everybody's doing it, but Dominic Cruz has to feel a little 
insulted by this. Like I would be, and the, and the fact that he's on the broadcast when they're doing it, right? It makes it even worse because he's got to he's got to hear it every time. It's not yeah. even like, yo, dude, you heard what they said about you, right? It's like, dude, you right here, right? You got a hot microphone, you. right? Yeah, he's right here, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. It, it, it's it's fun to watch, but Dominic Cruz doesn't need like any extra motivation to be like chippy with anybody. Like that guy's got a chip on his shoulder, and sure it does. You know, uh, I enjoy it. I like him and Bisping. Like they're just gonna fight one day in the booth. I think. Ain't yeah. they? Like they're always they're always arguing. Yeah, I don't get it. I don't get it. I mean, I'm, I'm sure they get along fine, but like, I mean, okay, all right. Well, we're not gonna touch that one. Dean Thomas, you're not gonna fight Michael Bisping in the booth, are you? No, I'm not gonna fight Michael Bisping in the booth. Okay, I, I'm kind of like he kind of scares me sometimes, man. He's a bit loose. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? He, he look at he look at you with that one cock eye, and you'd be like, ah. <laughs> All right, let's talk about more action that took place tonight. Matt Brown still doing big things. Uh, you know, going back to uh, his run on the Ultimate Fighter back in uh, 2008, um, he took on uh, Diego Lima. Who you know, Diego is a guy that you know has been a standout in multiple seasons uh, of the Ultimate Fighter. I thought that this was going to be potential fight of the night uh, type of stuff. And it, it was a fun fight. Uh, don't get me wrong. I, I really enjoyed it. I don't know if it'll win fight of the night, but uh, performance of the night might go the way of Matt Brown, who picks up a knockout at uh, three minutes and two seconds of round number two. Um, you you want to talk about scary individuals, Dean. I, I don't think there are many scarier than Matt Brown. Man, did he, when he hit Diego, man, I, I felt bad, man. He went face first. And Diego was doing good, too, man. Like, he was, like, those leg kicks were starting to take their toll, and they were adding up. But, you know, that's just the thing when you're dealing with a guy like Matt Brown. Like, because he's so experienced and so seasoned, that, like, he doesn't let that stuff get to him. Like, he's all, like, he just, he's not going to let that stuff get to him. Like, those leg kicks, he's just like, you know what, I'm going to keep coming. And he's always going to be dangerous. And he proved that tonight, man. He just, he, he just buckled. Diego Lima, and you know, I think he did it as the underdog too. Am I am I he wrong? Did. I yeah, he, he was the underdog. Yeah, he was, yep, he was the underdog too. So, like, I mean, that's obviously a good win for him. That we're talking about a guy who was looking at retirement a couple years ago, and now he's just racking up some wins. So, you know, good for him. Yeah, I mean, he did retire. That's the thing. He actually walked away from the sport. It wasn't for very long, but the the fact that he said, you know, look, I'm I'm done with it, uh, and then ultimately comes back and is still, you know, somewhat like I I don't think Matt Brown's gonna you know march his way to a title fight anytime soon. But I don't think he has to. Like Matt Brown is must see TV when he's on, uh, you know, any fight card, and we saw that tonight. He knocks out Diego Lima, really saying something about you know where he belongs and you know when when you look at you know where he belongs like look in the history books matt brown uh is tied for the most knockouts in ufc history tying uh vitor belfort and, and Derek lewis so like again like anytime he's in there with anybody fireworks seem to be you know just around the corner um pearl your thoughts on on seeing matt brown win in the in the way that he did because uh you know style points are everything uh, he definitely had some uh, pizzazz on that punch oh my gosh and it, it wasn't even like he loaded it and threw it i mean he was stalking he was definitely stalking lima and and was dealing with some adversity that leg was was getting eaten up uh, Lima and he he was having a tough time dealing with Lima's movement um and when he threw that hand I mean it was perfect timing he said he went to the body to to set it up and then he just threw it was a it was a nice short right hand and starched him 
Um, and then, the, then it was awesome. What he said at the end is he's like, what do you think about 40 bitch or something like that? He said something like that. He's 40 years old. Yeah. You know, and he came out and he put on a great performance like that. Um, so it was awesome to see. It was awesome to see that he's, he's still in there. He's still game. And he did say that this is what he focused on in this fight was that right hand and a knockout. And, uh, and he, re he made it happen tonight. It was awesome. No, 100%. That's one thing that I'm, I'm curious about, um, Dean. When we see fighters walk away from the sport and then ultimately come back, more often than not, they talk about the, the want and need to come back because they feel that they can approach everything at just a higher level, you know, mentally. Like, uh, when you fight into your 30s, it seems like the career and the preparation and, and largely the journey and how you approach it, you know, greatly differ from the, the aggressive 20-somethings out there. And, and you know, maybe that's Matt Brown uh, in in this case now at 40 years old. But when you were fighting, you know, earlier in your career uh, opposed to later in your career, Dean, did, did you feel extra motivation or uh, did you feel like you were smarter in, in that later approach than, say, the earlier? Yeah, I mean, you definitely feel like you don't make as many mistakes like you're the early the earlier, like everything's a learning experience. It's like being a kid, like everything like as a kid, everything you experience is like a new experience. Like, oh, my goodness, you know, Disney World. Oh, my goodness, McDonald's. So like all of it is like new experiences. So like as a fighter, everything is new. Then after a while, it's not new anymore. And then when you're older, it's just tough. Let me tell you something like I go to the soccer field and play with my kid. Now, the other day he kicked the ball over the fence. It took me 10 minutes to climb over the fence. And when I climbed <laughs> over it, I fell. I oh, fell no. down no. backwards and I hit my head. This is what I'm talking about. And I'm 44 years old right now. So, like, I don't know how these guys are getting in over 40. Because, like, like I said, 10 minutes to climb a fence. You know what I'm saying? Like, how tall was just this fence? Now. Like, was Did it you a get a video fence? of that? Can we nah, see that? thank God I didn't. <laughs> thank God. Did you get stuck? Like, I'm confused. No, man, I was just, I was like, Ugh. Uh, uh, so what you're saying is if you had just walked around the fence it would have been a lot yeah quicker. i probably yeah i probably should have gotten a car and just drove around and then right. got the ball and then drove back around it would have been faster well yeah, I mean, I'm, telling you, I'm telling you tj when you, at this age man things are just different right yeah i mean not the same i i i hopefully we'll find out when i catch up to you hopefully yeah you know i got a few years yet though but uh i don't oh, know fuck that i'm never getting old i'm just saying yeah, don't get old. Right. Don't I, get old. I, I'm not. I didn't know there was an option. Yeah, <laughs> there is an option. Okay, but you don't want the alternative neither. I don't know what the alternative is. Like my wife it's, says, I'm really immature. Does that help? Like, no, does that make the me alternative young? is not growing, not aging anymore. Oh, yeah, that's the alternative. Okay, yeah, no, yeah. that would probably be bad. Yeah. To be honest with you, um, let's let's look a little bit uh, at a, at a fight from the uh, preliminaries because there were some things to break down between uh, Kanaka Murata uh, and uh, Vina Jane oh, This was a really good fight. Uh, unfortunately, it was uh, over after the second round. Um, you know, this is a, a very good style sort of clash. As Kanaka Murata is a, a world class wrestler, uh, Vina Jane uh, a very good jujitsu practitioner. Um, we saw this fight uh, hit the floor. Uh, Vina had a, a very very deep uh, arm bar that it looked like uh 
Kanaka was going to be able to survive and and you know get through. But when she finally was able to get back at space, we could see that her arm uh, was definitely uh, compromised. And uh, following the second round, the uh, doctor came in and uh, saw that clearly uh, she was she was hurt, she was injured. Um, they called the fight technical knockout uh, between rounds uh, two and three. Um, first off, Pearl, I'll, I'll ask you, you know, size this one up a little bit because uh, both of these women, incredibly talented. Uh, it was actually kind of, you know, odd to almost see this uh, as far down the card uh, as it was. Uh, this this definitely was a main card sort of uh, attraction in my eyes. Um, but uh, tonight, Vina Janjidoba gets it done. Your thoughts? Oh, my gosh. So when we talked about this fight, we, we talked about the grappling ability of Kanako and how high level of a grappler she is. But then we also talked about Virna and her ability to submit on the ground. Another thing that we talked about this week was the armbar, the belly down armbar, and how when that belly down armbar goes on, like it's an instant tap. And if you don't, the, the entire body is weighing on that joint. And it's, it's easier to break than it would be a, a traditional armbar. So, you know, Virna, she jumped guard in this fight. She, she was did. winning on the feet. I'd ended up jumping guard and, and, you know, at first you would think, okay, why would she do that going underneath such a, an, uh, an established wrestler? Um, and she was just so aggressive with her, with her guard and her submissions and that arm bar, she went into a belly down arm bar. Now Kanako did a great job of dealing with it and, and getting through it and eventually getting past the arm bar attempt. But, and that's, she couldn't use her arm. It was like, it was flop, you know, it was floppy. It was yeah. it was tough to see that. And and honestly, I'm so glad the fight ended the way it did because I was worried that Virna was gonna hit her with a head kick and knock her out. Well, that's what um, I was gonna bring up because it was clear to everyone that was watching. I mean, John Anik uh, had called it out. The fact that, you know, Kanaka looked like she couldn't even raise her her left arm to defend whatsoever. And 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 Virna, I think, decided, look, I'm gonna try to keep this fight on the feet after the the arm bar didn't work. Um I, I'm curious what you guys think about the uh, referee essentially not stopping the fight. Maybe he didn't see it, but you know there are times I think when it's clear that an athlete is injured or compromised to the point where they cannot defend themselves. Maybe they're not necessarily uh, losing the fight in that moment, but uh, you know I, I just think that maybe they could have done what they did in the middle of that second round rather than waiting, you know, for the the actual round break. I don't know, TJ. I. I mean, it's a tough job as a referee, and this is one thing that I'm trying to do better now, and that's not get on these guys' cases much because what I think is happening is because everybody's coming down so hard on the referees in every fight, it makes them nervous going into fights. So now they're, what we have, they have omission bias, so they don't want to get involved. So it's like, okay, I don't want to stop this fight because – the last time I stopped the fight, everybody got mad at me because I stopped it too early. Or they're going, you know, this guy's going to get hurt because I didn't stop it last time, so now I got to stop it early. So, like, I'm trying not to really get on their case right. about their decisions of stopping fights. So, but I in, mean, but he didn't I thought he made the right call this time. He didn't necessarily even yeah. need to stop the fight. I just think that if there's a time where the athlete looks to be compromised in a way that the fight wouldn't be cleared if the fight was just starting, like, you wouldn't... you. Murata's not going to pass a pre-fight physical when she can't bring her arm up to her face. In that moment, 
I think you need to ask the doctor to come in and take a look at it because like Pearl said, if she would have eaten, you know, more shots, you know, Vina could have knocked her out. It really, uh, I mean, with, with almost anything to that side, uh, if, if the referee can see it, and again, we don't know if the referee did see it, but if the referee can see, look, you can't defend any of the shots coming from her power side, let's get a doctor to look at the arm, I think, at least. I mean, I can, I can agree with that. Like, if he can see it, that, like, she's compromised, like, that bad, then that might be a situation. But, like... But I mean, if she's like, or if it's broken, she's still actively fighting and still competing. Right. How can you stop? That? Right. Like, you can't. Right. Stop. But like, but no one would ever let you fight in a fight if they knew for sure that your arm was broken. I know, but no well, one would I let think... you fight in a fight if you were cut too. Like they wouldn't walk into a fight. Right. With a big that's old not gash true. Well, eye. I mean, yes, that's true. But like, the doctor at least can look at a cut and be like, "Ah, oh, you're good." Like, I just think that they should have maybe. I, and again, I'm assuming that the referee saw it. He he may not have. Well, it was very apparent to us because the broadcast was talking about right. it. So they, they they had our focus on that. Right. But if you watch the fight, Kanako was still doing a great job of moving. Right. She was fainting. She wasn't using that arm. And yes, we were all very focused on it because of the broadcast. But she was still fainting. She was throwing kicks. She was landing some kicks. And when they did call the fight, she was heartbroken. Like right. She really did want to fight. Um, and Is so I think in that moment, like, uh, do you do are they is the ref focused on that or is the ref focused on she's actively like Dean said she's still actively fighting and she was still landing some offensive shots um it's a tough call but you know I think at the the end I'm just glad that it ended the way it did and at the I mean, end but of the do day, you stop a fight if, if the hand is broken you well, know what I'm saying like if I mean, my hand is broken I, they, I don't think so they, well I don't see we so. could we could talk all day about that I remember uh I think it was uh the Jose Aldo fight for Uriah Faber uh where he had two broken hands you know he couldn't mm -hmm. throw like and he yes. said that to his his corners like look both of my hands are broken well the inspectors didn't do anything about it they just let it go on um I, I think that maybe, you know... They should have? You think they should have? Again, it's, it's hard to say because that that's the thing. If Faber had come back and won that fight, we'd be calling it the greatest upset or greatest comeback in the history of the sport. Um, you know, look, look at uh, Czech Congo and, and uh, Pat Barry. Like, Czech Congo was knocked unconscious <laughs> by Pat Barry, right. and then right. he comes back and he wins. Like, should we stop a fight the minute a, a fighter gets, you know, flash knocked out? No, because if he comes back and is defending himself, then... You know, th there are moments in fights where they should be stopped or, or the, the, the referee should, you know, defer to the doctor. And then there are also split seconds, like even, you know, in that same sequence where it's like, okay, I can't do it right now because they're fighting back. And that's kind of what you're saying, Dean, like these referees have an impossible job of doing everything right in real time. And it's probably not fair to sit back and, and think, well, maybe you could have done this because at the end of the day, most fighters are going to want every opportunity they can to continue fighting and, you know, pull off a miracle. And I, do, and I will say this, though. I've never heard a fighter say, man, I wish that ref stopped it sooner. That's true. I've never you know heard of that. I've never heard a fighter go, man. I was getting my ass kicked. Right. Why didn't the ref stop this fight sooner? Yeah, you know what I'm saying? The fighters true. don't say that. That's so true. I don't know. So all I'm saying is it, it's a tough job. But I think the reality, it, for me, it comes down to this. The, I'm, I don't have a problem when the ref stops the fight, really. I mean, obviously, the loss goes to a fighter. That's why I wish fighters didn't get a win bonus. I wish they just got all the money. Right. So they wouldn't lose a win bonus based on that, which is 
bad for me. So like, you know, if a fighter, you know, if he loses and goes, shit, at least I got my money, you know, then he's, I think he's good, you know. But when you, when a, when a ref stops it and it's premature and then he loses half his money from that, I think that is where. That's the complaint that you're hearing more than anything. To me, that's the complaint. Right. And I mean, that's also the complaint with judging too, you know. Yeah, that's the complaint. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, um, and you know that—that's another thing too that I wanted to talk about with the uh, the referee tonight. Uh, this was uh, in the case of Mike Beltron. Um, you know, he's warning an athlete repeatedly uh, to not grab the fence, and I—they I, brought it up. I think like four or five times that he had issued uh, you know stern warnings, and then the sternest of warnings came with like twenty five seconds left uh, in the fight, and they brought it up. They're like, "Look, he's not going to even have an opportunity to grab the fence." Once again, uh, I know not all fouls are created equally, but I do feel like when you are raising your voice to an athlete three or four times over the course of 15 minutes, if you haven't taken a point, yeah, that's uh, you yeah, got you empty threats, man. Like, yeah. I mean, you know, that that at what point does it become like a kid in the back seat who keeps asking, Are we there yet? and the dad says, like, If you ask one more time, I'm gonna turn this car around. Well, I don't know about your guys' dads, but they never turned the car around. So, <laughs> yeah, you're right. Like if if it's me and he keeps saying it to me, like Psh, I'm gonna do it again. Right? Exactly. <laughs> and you gotta take you gotta take a point. You gotta take a point. Like I have no problem with the refs doing that. The only problem I ever have with the refs is when they're like, "Gotta be busy. You gotta be right, busy." Yeah, yeah. I have a problem with that because now we're talking about a strategy issue. Right. You know, like yeah. taking a point like that's a foul. They should be able to do that. But I have a problem with the refs. You know, trying to interjecting action because it's got nothing to do with them yeah i mean that's one thing that you were kind of saying is is the referees sometimes they don't intervene because they don't want to have a direct outcome uh, on the fight you know what i mean like you, you call in the doctor maybe prematurely the doctor sees something and decides okay i'm not gonna let this fight go on maybe you should have afforded them the the extra minute to uh fight but the bottom line i think is more often than not referees just want to let the fighters um you know sort it out themselves but when you take a point away uh then now we're looking at draws or we're looking at you know fights that could go the complete opposite way than if you hadn't taken a point away and i guess the question is none of the fouls that beltron was calling tonight were really impacting the fight in a manner where it was like this person won because of it it wasn't something where it was like you got an advantage a position uh for it so i don't know i mean i just think I mean, well, wait, he he had him up against the fence and he was grabbing the fence. So right. But there was no clear point at any time that the fence grab negated a takedown. I mean, so it really didn't do anything. Negated, it didn't negate a takedown, but did it keep him in that position? By holding onto that fence, did it help him? See, there were there, know, were, there um, were multiple fence grabs. One one when the the athlete yeah. in question was on offense, trying to you know clinch up against the fence, and other times where he was s- sort of you know trying to stay on his feet. So I don't know. Bottom line is, I'm surprised that Mike Beltron has to raise his voice more than once to anyone. He slapped his hand. I the know. The thing is, like, did he did he did that fence grab help him conserve his energy a little bit? I mean, that was a big fight. It was a fun fight. Both were like equally aggressive. And then my, so my camera actually, like my, my fight pass thing, like went out. Who won that fight? Did he take a point at the end? He did not take a point. Uh, he did not take a point at the end. Uh, let me, so that uh, guy won. Yeah. So it was, um, oh man, this is the hardest name to say. And this is why I've been kind of avoiding it uh, here on the broadcast. But, oh uh, yeah. Nikolai Nigamaranu. 
Uh, he defeated Alexa Kammer. And uh, if if uh, the point was deducted from Nigamaranu, uh, we would have been looking at uh, one judge. Michael Bell had a 29-28, so that would have been uh, a 28-28 scorecard. Uh, Eric Cologne had a 29-28 the opposite way, so that would have been 29-27. And then we would have been looking at Tony Weeks, who had a 29-28 for uh, Nigamaranu. So we're, we're looking at uh, a draw. A majority draw had, had a point been taken away. So, uh, I, again, I, I guess that's my question. The foul didn't necessarily have an impact on the flow of the action, but it would have turned a fight that was a victory into a draw if yeah. uh, Mike Beltran decided, look, I'm taking away a point. i tell you this, though. I couldn't be no ref. I'm going to let a dude die in there before I do anything. I'm a- <laughs> You, you I ain't stopping like, no fights. Right. You're just I ain't here. taking no points. I'm just gonna be sitting there chilling. Like everybody wants to talk about why don't they let fighters be refs and judges? Man, I ain't ref. If I'm a ref, I'm like, man, he's gonna have to die before I is he alive? <laughs> right. I mean, you just don't want to get yelled at, right? Like I'm like, not trying to get I'm like, yo, right. last time I stopped the fight. <laughs> right. Yeah, and man, and that's not, one thing I'm too that I think does happen, time. Dean, is you see a fighter that has an early stoppage in the night, especially with fans, and they get booed. Later in the night, they generally i feel like make it make a mistake the opposite way and i know it's not a football game you can't do it like a makeup call but there are plenty of times when a a referee sort of has a quick stoppage that nobody likes and then before the end of the night they end up letting the fight go on a little bit longer than they probably should have yeah like i'm talking about like the calvin cater max holloway i'm like he's still standing right i want me to do right he's breathing what do you want yeah what you want his eyes are open Man, you, you see fight. the I don't there's there's a video going around uh where the referee got punched in the face. Did well, you I see mean, that one? Well, I, I saw a live when Larry Landless <laughs> got punched in the face by Phil Baroni. Oh god. Remember that one? Uh, I do remember that. Yeah, that was crazy. Uh, so Pearl, how did why did this guy get punched in the face? So he was he was there like in between in the moment, and the dude threw a hook and he missed the opponent. And it went whoop, right into the into the referee's mouth. Oh boy! Was it like pro <laughs> wrestling? Did they just start like brawling? You know what happened? It was actually a boxing video that had uh, popped up, but it was oh, like man. it went. Uh, oh, you, are you, hit no, the ref. You're talking about Three Stooges, where Mo tried to slap <laughs> Larry and he ducked and hit Curly. I've seen that one. <laughs> so I think that's funny. every episode, right? Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Um. Getting back to the uh, Davy Grant fight a little bit uh, with uh, Cheeto Vera. Um, Vera had, has moved around camps throughout his career. Um, you know, he uh, originally is from Ecuador. Uh, he's he's relocated to Southern California. He's worked with uh, Colin Oyama in the past. Now working with the uh, Ruka Gym. Um, Pearl, you've obviously moved around in your career from, you know, you're, you starting in Chicago, moving out to Southern California, now training boxing in Brooklyn. How important is it for an athlete to get different looks and, and go to other, you know, camps that, you know, just have a different sort of mindset and, and sort of technique that they can pass on? Because I, I think a lot of people stay with one gym, sometimes for the better of their career, sometimes uh, it is at a detriment. What are your thoughts on, on athletes, you know, getting multiple looks and, and traveling around the world to train? You know, I, obviously I'm very, I'm pro, very t- traveling. And there are so many different concepts. There's so many different views. Uh, there's so many different ways 
that to fight a fight to skin a cat, whatever you want to say. But I also think that it's a big part of the environment too. what, what is going on in the environment. And, and that's a big piece to the performance, to how the athlete trains is, is what is their surroundings? What is their environment? Where is their, where is their mental state? And for me, I've, I've just always been very open-minded and um, for the most part of my career, when I started training very young from 11 to 24, I was at one gym and one gym only. And it took, it took a lot for me to, to leave and, and go to Southern California. And even when I got to Southern California, I found my first gym and was there for seven years. Um, so it wasn't until I would say a couple years ago where I started to travel the world, where I went to Thailand, where I started to go to seminars, where I was more open-minded to go and train with others. And I think that that is one of the most beautiful things about our sport is that you may not speak the same language, but you can go anywhere in the world and, and, and find someone that trains some sort of, of art, some sort of mixed martial arts. And, and even though you can't communicate, you can still communicate through, through training. And it's, it's a great experience. It's, it's, it's not just the training. It's, it's, it's you know, learning and, and growing and, and exploring cultures um, and also picking, picking minds. I think that for Chito, he looked really good, and the cornering, the coaching was incredible in that in that fight and in that third round. And and what his was, was it Eric Perillo that was his coach, Jason Perillo, um, Jason Perillo, yeah, yeah. That, that guy, that guy. Okay, so he he did a great job, you know, and coaching him. And it, it's all about where is the athlete in that time at that point in their life. And if that is where where you communicate the best, if that is where you connect the best then that's where you need to be because in that moment, it is so vital for an athlete to be able to connect with their corner. That is the whole point of the corner. The corner cannot fight the fight for you. As the, as the athlete, you are in there. You and another athlete are in there fighting, right? The corner is there to help you, to, to, to help you, one, bring you back when, when maybe your nervous system, you get a little more upset or to, to see, to show you things that you may not be seeing because they're seeing from a different angle. They're seeing from a different point of view. And if the connection is wrong, it, it just doesn't work. You've seen it time and time again where a corner and an athlete are, are arguing that I'm, I, I guarantee if, an, if they're arguing, the performance isn't going too well. Right. And so when, when you have a great connection with your corner and, and with your team, you go out there, you feel the best, you have confidence not only in, in the training and the camp, but you have confidence in, in who's behind you and who's, who's advising you and guiding you. So I think that it, it's, it's important to, to make sure that you are at the place you need to be and not force that relationship. It's a very vital and, and important relationship because you only get so many minutes that truly matter. Yes, of course, the training is important and everything leading up to the fight. But in that fight, you only have so many seconds and they go before the blink of your eye. I mean, before you know it, it's over. Right. And so in that moment, you really need you really that connection needs to needs to be on point. Um, so I'm all for it. I'm all for traveling and training. It re to, For me, it's made my career so, so fun. It's made my experience. It, it's taught me it's developed my character of who I am, as well as disciplines. I've learned different arts in different ways. But most importantly, I can say I've traveled the world. I've trained with this person. I've done this. I've done that. And not many people can say they've done that for that job, for their job. And I think that that's, it, it's, uh, it's amazing. 
You bring up a really good point. I think that uh, you know personalities definitely need to mesh as well in the corner because, like you said, if you're you know literally you know arguing in the corner, your performance is probably not going the way that you want it. And it brings me back to a, a week ago, uh, Dean. You know, Marvin Vittori was having a, a lot of words uh, with, with Rafael Cordero in his corner. It was it was very odd that sort of dynamic. Do you do you recall a time where you had sort of a debate with an athlete in the corner at all? No, not really. I mean, the thing is, you know, it's such a short, like, like Pearl was saying, like it's such a short time and the athlete doesn't really even know what's going on sometimes because like when the fight's over, a lot of fighters like, man, I don't even remember what was going on. Right. So like, it's just like, it go, like while they're in there and they're tired and they're fighting and they're grinding, it goes by so fast and they don't really even remember it. So and they don't listen. They're just kind of stuck in the mindset that they're in. So it's like, for me, I'm always like, I have, I kind of have to figure out where they're at and see if I can't say something to resonate to kind of get with where they're at. Right. Because like, I might be seeing the right thing, but if they're not listening, it's like, I'm, you're wasting your breath. Right. You're just wasting your mm -hmm. breath because yeah. they're not seeing it. So you kind of right. have to just find a way to meet in the middle. But Pearl's right. Like, it's all about chemistry. It's about finding that chemistry. And this comes down to, you know, back in the day when there wasn't a lot of money in the game, all we had in the game was our pride and getting wins. Mm -hmm. So, like, that's where the whole loyalty thing comes in. It's like, right. hey, listen, if I brought you up and I got you these wins, you need to stay with me until you die. And that was the way it was. Yeah. Now it's different. It yeah. should be different now. There are still some old school mentalities, but now it should be different. Now it's like, all right, if I'm getting you these wins, you need to pay me. And then when you stop paying me, go ahead and move on. Right. Where else you need it's to a business go. in that sense. It's a business now because before it was all about pride and loyalty. Yeah. But for me, like, I don't care. I think the fighters need to go off and find the training that they need, depending on where they are in their career and where they are in their life. Because you can't do it in one place. Like it's going to be very difficult for you to get good with one person. And if mm -hmm. you are trying to do be loyal to that one person, you're ruining your career. Me and Rashad Evans had this talk. It's like, like I'm a coach now, so I know it from both perspectives. If somebody's with me and I'm trying to get them to do stuff and they don't want to do it, they can go, they can leave. They right. should leave. Like if you're not, you should leave because I can get somebody else, but this is your one career. You have one career. Pearl's got one career. Mm -hmm. She can't owe it to any one person but herself. So she's got to go out right. and find the training. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and that's one thing, too. I think that there are uh, great coaches that just sort of resonate with, with certain athletes in different ways. And, um, you know, there, there are certain – like uh, Greg Jackson always comes to mind the way that he would almost wear a different cap depending on who he was uh, cornering. Like uh, with Clay Guida, you know, you're going to have to sit him in the corner. You're going to have to get out of the way of his just – insane belching you know he's just gonna like burp for the whole minute um, so gross but I, I also remember like uh greg jackson speaking in a weird american russian sort of accent to one of uh the fighters that he had from like dagestan it's like i don't i don't know understand what that does but all right cool uh you know with joe stevenson he used to be like all right joe stevenson it's like why do you say his first and last name i don't understand but it's just that's that sort of I'm relationship not, I listen, I, I, I almost went somewhere and I'm not going there. Okay, good. Um, yeah, let me not, let me not. You know, it. you know, I think um, Michael Bisbing said it, said it once and, and someone else said this, like uh, he, the coach is not there to teach you how to fight. When you're in a fight, you already, you've done everything you need to do. They're not there to teach you how to fight. 
they're there to guide you. And, and like Dean said, there's so many instances in this fight where you're under pressure. It's like, and, and I've described the fight like going into a car crash over and over and over again, constantly, consistently in a car crash all over again. And in those moments, you have to be able to guide your fighter. Hey, breathe. Hey, focus. You know, bring it back in. You know, like there was a, there was some cornering tonight where where the the gentleman was like he gave him a like a good twenty seconds where he didn't say anything. He told him to drink his water, to take some deep breaths, and then exhale very slowly. Close your eyes, take a break because you do. You're like this. You're like oh my god, freaking out, freaking out. And just one small second where you close your eyes, you can like completely reset your mindset. Right. And that's that's that chemistry that's needed. Like Dean said, he he needs to figure out where his fighter is. He's 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 been with his fighters. He understands their demeanor. He understands their body language. So if if one of his fighters that he knows is out of out of their comfort zone or out of where they are, where they're relaxed and in their zone, it's up to him as his, as the corner to one see that, but also to bring them back into that zone. And that's ultimately the job of the the corner and and that's the the goal of the fighter corner relationship is is they have to guide me and i have to i have to be confident enough in my corner that when they tell me what, what hey breathe you're doing this relax like oh yeah they're right i'm not breathing oh my gosh you're right you know and and being able to guide you through the fight and that's that's the most important piece we don't need someone to be in there to throw hey throw a jab like yeah no shit right right no shit. i know you know so yeah, that's it. That's it. I'm curious uh, what your thoughts are, Dean, on on sometimes when the the coach sort of gets in the uh, fighter's face when they're down and and you know starts bringing up like their kids and their family and like this guy's trying to take food off of your table. Like sometimes I think that can't be really good because now you know you're losing a fight and now you're just being reminded <laughs> that you're letting everyone down. Like, ah, no, my kids can't eat. Right, no. like it's just kind of crazy. Like what we that's like again, give me again, advice. again, that's chemistry. That's chemistry. Yeah, I like, guess. you gotta know. You gotta know who you're doing that to. Um, I'm fortunate enough, like, because I don't really work with a lot of, you know, like high energy type of personalities like that. that maybe motivated by that you know so like i don't really like work i'm a i try to be as cerebral as i can and not not as emotional in that way mm -hmm. where i'm like all right you know what you know if you don't win this fight you know your family is is getting shipped back to brazil like to me like that's <laughs> like i don't like that's you know like that's not my style right and i don't i don't really re i don't really you know vibe with with fighters like that so um you know with my people, I'm you know if it's working, it's working. If not, then you know we go. Hey, listen, it didn't work out. Let's go back to the drawing board. Let's right. let's make it happen. But um, yeah. So like, but there are some coaches like that, and there are some fighters that really can get motivated that way. But again, that's not my style, and that's not the type of fighter that I really like to work with. Yeah, I mean, I think you're you're probably right. It just goes down to the personality and how you mesh with uh, those personalities, and that's something that definitely has to uh, sort of be developed over time and. You know, I'm, I'm curious, Dean, when you uh, when you're training and stuff and, and, you know, just being around your athletes, maybe, uh, you know, in a camp or maybe outside of camp, do you ever do like team building stuff? Like, do you do you do trust falls? Because I feel like, you know, maybe not exactly trust falls, but something like that has got to be able to build that sort of chemistry and, you know, ha have a much more, you know, deeper relationship than just the X's and O's of the game. Yeah, it is. And, 
that's important. Like, believe it or not, like that is pretty important when you do have a team around you. You want everybody to be getting along because that type of energy carries over and you want a good positive vibe and a good energy around all your people. So like the people that I'm with now, you know, we in fact, like when somebody's not in a good mood, I'm like, yo, you got to get out. Really? Yeah, I'm. I don't. You know, I don't. Just excuse him like, from I'm the not day. Tolerating, I'm not tolerating like right. negative negativity, bad moods. Like if it's you, contagious, if not, right? Yeah, it is. It's very contagious. So like, if you're not in a good mood and you're not vibing the way we're vibing, you can't be around. Yeah, that's just it. You can't be. You know, I'm. That's where I'm at. Like, if you're not, and that's how I'm in my life now. Like, if you don't have that energy. Just like positive and helpful, you got to go. Right. Yeah. Um. That that's one thing that I've noticed sometimes when uh there, there's a a fight card where the blue corner is just not having a good night, and I wonder if it's because the blue corner is just having you know athlete after athlete come back, and it's like man, they're 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 you know they all start in this positive men mentality and mindset, and it's like we're gonna have a great night, and then the first fighter loses and they come back, and then the second fighter loses and they come back. Like that's got to be hard to be back there when you're like the seventh fighter uh and and all six of uh you know the the locker room uh locker roommates i guess it would be have, have gone out there and lost and it's like oh great you know the, the mood's dead in here oh yeah for sure like sometimes i'll be in a room everybody loves them like yo we need to get up out of this room right all these you know these dudes coming back all sour yeah and you see their faces and you're just like oh my god Let's just go they, hang out in the hallway. They're probably just like scowling at you if you're still like, you know, bouncing around and like you got you know, work like you to better, do. It's like, dang. You better not win. Right, yeah. You want to be team blue, you got to go out there and lose. <laughs> no, it, it, it's a real thing. Like, I think that type of energy does affect the whole room. Like, I, like when everybody's losing in a room, I'm almost like, right. oh, I got to get out of this room. It's like our philosophy here in Extra Rounds. Like, if Pearl's not happy, none of us are happy. And look at her. Are you happy, Pearl? I'm always happy. What are you talking about, TJ? I'm always happy. You, I mean, you're, you're always trying to be happy. That's why you say, TJ, I got to do this. I got I to gotta lighten my camera up. TJ, I got to make sure the shot's right. And I'm like, okay, Pearl. I always yeah, say, Pearl, okay, Pearl. Pearl, where are you? Yeah. You look like you're taking a photo shoot at Olin Mills. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, she definitely looks like there's got that like uh, high school yearbook vibe yeah, behind where, her. Where yeah. Is there? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. I'm in my living room. Damn, you getting it like that? Her yeah. living room is like the Rainforest Cafe. I know. <laughs> Jesus. I got a whole little plant thing going on. I'm, I want more. I want like as many plants as possible. Uh, yeah. No, I you. plants need maintenance and they die mm -hmm. when I don't give them maintenance. So we don't have plants in my house. I am. I am so isolated right now from the world. It's literally the gym and home and I'm in my apartment. So uh, this is the perfect time for me to have a shit ton of plants because I can take care of all of them right now. Are you singing to them and talking to them and all that? You business? have to. Okay. You have to. All Some right. of them like specific music. They all have names. She's Absolutely. one of those, Dean. She's one mm -hmm. of those people. Yeah, she's one of them people yeah. singing their plants. Yeah. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. I'm like peeking in her window like, what the hell is she doing? Wait, why are you peeking in her window? <laughs> just see, just oh, you're one of those plants. now, Dean. Jesus. Yeah, but peeping times. <laughs> Man. Uh, I'll forgive you because I got that Dean Thomas candle. Oh yeah, see what is oh, what is that, mine. What does that smell, that Dean? What do you make that thing smell like? It smells good. I just don't know what to call it. I don't know. I'll okay, just put a bunch of stuff together. I don't even know what that means, but it's nice. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, you know, what I'm saying, I thank you for thanking me. I, I appreciate you. 
Yeah, no, I uh, I definitely like it. My my wife has already uh, burnt the crap out of it because it makes the house smell good. So, oh really? Yeah, I got both of y'all again on another one. I mean, I just love making candles. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, can you make me a green one for my green area? I got you. We'll plants on okay. it too. Watch this. Yeah, there we go. I love it. Paint yes. leaves all over it. Mm -hmm. mm. I That's might be able awesome. to do that. I'm not a very good artist, but I think I could paint a leaf. 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 <laughs> Yeah. A leaf, a leaf, a leaf. Yeah, he said a leaf. Hey, you know, I was in the store the other day, and they had a uh, like a box of steak knives, and it said steak knives, K N I F E S. <laughs> it's like, damn, knives. All right, cool. <laughs> I didn't feel like I was the dumbest person in the room in that moment. Oh, that's so. awesome. Yeah, uh, we are ever closer to uh, the big uh, rubber match uh, between Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier. Um, I, I think we're all going to be in town, so stay tuned to uh, what we got going on. Hopefully, we're going to do something. Maybe we can like make candles with Dean Thomas. Yeah, well, in town. I'm down. In Las Vegas, Vegas. Nevada. Oh, right, capital of the world. Everybody's going to be in Vegas at I the think, time. I'll I think be in so. Vegas. Yeah, we're going to be in Vegas. Be that's in what Vegas. I'm saying. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, so we'll uh, get together and make candles and uh, play music for Pearl's Plants. Yeah, there we go. It'll be exciting business. It's going to be awesome. Sounds like I a can't plan. wait to see you guys. All right. Um, that's it for us then this week. I'll be back on Wednesday with whom I'm not sure. Probably not Pearl Gonzalez because you got things going on. I do. Yeah. Big weekend for me. So good luck with uh, with all your endeavors and punching people in the face. Thank you. Thank don't, you very Don't much. get I'm punched excited. in the face and, uh, you know, go, go bring back the win for extra rounds. I will do so. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Perfect. Dean Thomas, right. I'll probably bug you middle of next week and see if you're around. I got you. All right, Joe. All right. See you. Be good. All right. Dean Thomas. Bye. Peace. Joining me all the time here on Extra Rounds on UFC Fight Pass. We are going to take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll talk more about what you need to know about all things headed your way on UFC Fight Pass. It's Extra Rounds. I have my manager call me and say, hey, man, I just got a call from the UFC. And my heart just dropped because I instantly knew. TJ Dillashaw tested positive for serious performance-enhancing substance. TJ Dillashaw has now been suspended by USADA for two years. This is disgusting. I can't say it enough. I messed up. This is who I am. I'm a fighter. And uh, I'm about to fight my way to this one. No one knew. No one, not any of my training partners, none of my coaches. I guess with the pressure on myself of wanting to be the best, I blinded myself from the actual reality of what could happen. He lost two years in the prime of his career. He's going to have to compete and live the rest of his life with his stigma. I don't think he wants to end on that type of note. He needs to get back out there. I'll be coming back and I'll be a three-time UC champ. There's no way you can deny me from that.
Well, there you go. Uh, check out uh, all of the original content and programming on UFC Fight Pass. Brand new stuff uh, from the uh, UFC Chronicles. The Anderson Silva's episode recently just dropped. Uh, TJ Dillashaw's uh, already up there. And then the uh, UFC Academy Combine Shanghai. Uh, definitely something you uh, want to look at. It's, it's a unique uh, perspective into uh, mixed martial arts and what the UFC is doing uh, over there uh, in China. Knockouts. They got to be your things, right? Knockouts only. Combos. Some of the best uh, knockouts in the sport. All compiled into one great playlist. Uh, this week, looking at combos. Knockouts only. Uh, always a must-see TV over on UFC Fight Pass. And uh, I said it last week, and I'll say it once again. Uh, if you don't know, uh, we're just like hours away from Father's Day. So, you got a gift for your dad? Because I don't think any dad would be upset with a uh, year subscription to UFC Fight Pass. Go sign up right now, UFCFightPass.com. While you're over there, you can check out all the uh, archives from Extra Rounds. I believe this is episode 71. So uh, a whole bunch of uh, episodes in the can for you to get caught up on. And uh, if you want to do so audibly, check out the uh, podcast. It is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, iHeartRadio, Google, Apple, pretty much everywhere you want to listen to something. Spotify, it's there for you. Just uh, do a quick search for UFC Fight Pass and Extra Rounds, and you get caught up with uh, everything that we've got going on for you uh, here. Uh, we're usually live on Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, and, of course, uh, after all the fights on Saturday night. So we'll be back on Wednesday looking ahead to uh, what the UFC's got going on uh, next Saturday night. And then, uh, again, just looking ahead to uh, this, this monumental UFC 264 card coming up. I uh, cannot wait. Dustin Poirier. Conor McGregor. It is the rubber match in a trilogy that has made plenty of waves and uh, cannot wait for that big matchup coming up on July 10th. Uh, make sure you keep it locked to Extra Rounds. We'll tell you uh, what we got going on that week. Uh, hopefully some fun and exciting business uh, as the world gets back to normal and no better time than uh, International Fight Week. That uh, second week in July, always uh, a fun one to be a UFC fan and uh, they're not uh, disappointing this year with Poirier and McGregor 3 uh, headed your way from the fight capital of the world. All right, that does it for us. want to say thank you to uh, Pearl Gonzalez and Dean Thomas for coming on, breaking down the fights. If you missed any part of the show, check out the archive on Fight Pass. And as I mentioned, the Audible version anywhere you get podcasts. For Dean and Pearl, I'm TJ DeSantis saying thanks for going a few extra rounds here on UFC Fight Pass. from UFC Fight Pass is a TJ DeSantis production. Its content is intended for private use only.